Chris Moraz, and welcome to the Oklahoma Business Show, where we speak with business owners and leaders about their struggles, successes, and things they've learned along the way. All right, well, welcome back to the Oklahoma Business Show. Uh, today, I'm delighted to have Christian Brim with us. So Christian is the founder and CEO of Core Group. Uh, an Oklahoma-based accounting firm servicing the entire state of Oklahoma and then some. Currently, we're in 38 states. We have clients in 38 states. Okay. That's amazing. So thanks for being here. That's, I'm delighted to sit down with you for 45 minutes or an hour and just kind of chat a bit. So You may regret that. I, may, sure, you know, I might, but I doubt it. Um, why don't you kick us off with a, a little bit of a bio that you can do better better than I? Sure. Um, I am uh, approaching the ripe age of 53 this year. Uh, we started Core Group, uh, this is our 26th year in business. Um, started it, uh, actually bought a franchise. There were such things as accounting franchises at the time. Really? Okay. Yes. There were several different accounting franchises. Uh, there aren't any more that I'm aware of. Um, but it was an interesting business model. But Started out um, and uh, have been doing this most of my professional career. I have uh, a wife that will be uh, married 30 years this year, uh, three grown children. Um, as I told you, I just got my private pilot's license. Um, you can't tell from this uh, physique, but I uh, do... Um, a lot of endurance races. I've done a half Ironman. I've done a full marathon. Um, yeah, uh, you can't tell from looking at it, but uh, <laughs> I go. I go very slowly. Um, well, it's called endurance for a right. Reason. Exactly. It's it's not fast. That this is a completely different race. Um, so been at the same church for twenty nine years. Um, same Sunday school class for 27, um, you know, lived in Oklahoma all my life. I was born in uh, Shawnee, raised in Enid. I have uh, four siblings, all of them younger. Uh, one of my brothers was a partner of mine in, in core group for about 10 years. Um, recently, in the last, you know, two years, I've, I've taken on some uh, fractional uh, CFO clients, not through core, but just me individually. And, uh, I help those clients do, uh, more uh, strategic high level, uh, finance stuff rather than what core does, which is more of the, uh, bread and butter compliance stuff. Now, why did you branch that off though? Why not keep that as a separate or as a, as another, you know, line item within, within core directly. Well, it, it's interesting that my, my first and only strategy for the first 18 to 20 years of business was grow. And not a bad strategy. No, it's not. And it's a very common strategy. Um, but what we ran into is we were, way too many things to way too many different people. Very uh, scattered in who we served and what we did for them. And we decided that if we were going to, you know, we, we just kind of bumped up against the ceiling. We couldn't grow any 
any further. And what we realized is that, you know, what we had was not scalable. Um, and so we made some changes, one of which was we uh, eliminated a bunch of services, um, got out of a lot of lines of businesses, business, um, fired some clients, um, sold some parts of the business. And uh, that's why is the short answer that I, I or the long answer of why I didn't want to bring that back in because we'd spent so much work and effort uh, getting getting it where we could scale it. I didn't want to confuse anything. Okay. I think that's interesting. You know, obviously this, this whole show is geared towards business owners and business leaders. A lot of those are going to be thinking, how can I add to my business? What, you know, what else can I add to sell? Um, and so it's really interesting hearing you go that opposite way. Focus is obviously important as a business owner. Um, but how have you found the ability to balance that as the owner, knowing that there's something else you'd like to do that still kind of coincides with the, the core foundation of core, if I can, um, but, but decide to keep those separate? Well, I think one of the things that I see as I've dealt, I mean, you know, I deal with small business owners every day uh, and have for the last 26 years. And one of the, the common problems I see is entrepreneurs are, are very quick start. They're, they're, they're driven. Uh, what makes them good at entrepreneurs leaves them with some big blind spots. Right. <laughs> and um, one of those is uh, fairly, fairly simple and fundamental, but it's extremely important is defining success. Mm. Um you know, what is it that you want from your business? Is it, uh, is it a lifestyle that you want that, you know, a certain amount of money that, that gives you the lifestyle to live what you want? Are you uh, building it to uh, have more flexibility and, and time? Uh, are you doing it because you just really have a passion for that thing? Um, are you doing it because you want to build it and sell it. You know, there, there, there are a lot of different options there, really personal to the entrepreneur. But until you clearly define what success looks like, you you won't know when you get there. Like, you know, you, you, you can be like me and get to this point and have this business and you're like, this really isn't what I want to do. Like, it's just kind of grown beyond what, I wanted. And so really taking the time to uh, re-envision re what I wanted, um, part of that was, you know, what is my role? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we have 18 employees and obviously I don't do everything. So, you know, what do I want my role to be in the business? What do I enjoy? What am I good at? And what am I not good at and don't want to do? Um, but, but, but as we, uh, redesigned the company, I realized there wasn't a whole lot in the company that I liked doing. Right. <laughs> um, so that was where the, the fractional CFO, uh, thing came up because I didn't get those opportunities because I wasn't directly working with clients anymore. Um, 
And most of our clients, not all of them, but most of them don't have a need for what I do uh, at, at that CFO level. So it was it was a conscious decision to do what I want to do, what I enjoy doing, um, and 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 keeping that balance of my responsibilities at core. Yeah, and I love to hear that. That's kind of been you hear that a lot the last few years. A little bit before the pandemic, but obviously in the middle of it, reinvent yourselves. And this is an opportunity to make changes. Do you think that's something that you could have or would have done 10, 15 years ago? Or is it now where you are in the stage of your life and your business, you were able to step back and, and have that conversation with yourself? I think I could have potentially. Well, I definitely could have potentially. Um, but one of the things that happened was a lot of personal growth. Um, you know, where that personal growth comes in your life, what causes it, what, 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 you know, prompts you to, to dig into it is different for every individual. Um, you know, there's been a lot of things that I've run across in the last five years and I've you know, questioned myself, why didn't I do this sooner? Why didn't I see this? Uh, you know, it's, it's, it, some of these things seem very obvious. Um, but I think the, the short answer is I didn't, I, I didn't have the self-awareness to know that I, I needed to be, uh, I, I needed to be looking at those things and looking at those blind spots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love to, I love hearing that. It's uh, a conversation that I had a lot with myself during the pandemic. I, I don't, I, I think a lot of people had that same kind of uh, conversation during that time period, just because we were sitting with ourselves for hours upon days that we weren't used to. Um, but hopefully if people listening haven't had that chance yet, make time and, and do that because it's, it's eye-opening and transformational in a lot of ways. So one of my, Consistence reads is uh, a gentleman by the name of Perry Marshall. Um, he is a marketing uh, guru. That's his company. But um, his background was uh, trained as an audio engineer. I mean, I think he was an electrical engineer. Interesting. Um, and uh, he, and and his approach is very different than most marketers. He's not flashy, uh, but he wrote the book 80-20 Marketing. Oh, okay. Um, and it's it's around the Pareto concept of, you know, 20% of your efforts produce 80% of your sure. results. Uh, but he applied that to, to marketing. And one of the things he talks about is uh, Renaissance time. And it's this concept that you have to intentionally set aside time in your day or your week to explore those things um, and how powerful that time, even though it's a small amount of time proportionate to what you do the rest of the week, uh, is in, uh, you know, driving your long-term success. Um, you know, it, it, he talks a lot about the, the uh, concept of predictability and how our brains are wired towards the predictable. Um, and in, in normal course, you as an individual and certainly as a business owner gravitate to those things where 
the outcome of your efforts are known. Whether or not that's necessarily productive, um, it, it's a known factor. You know if you do X, you get Y. Um, and the Renaissance time is really about spending time where you don't have any idea what the outcome is going to be. You, you don't know whether or not the outcome is going to be productive or fruitful. It's just exploring. Um, and hard driven type A, high D, D on disc, you know, uh, quick start on Colby, th those types of people that entrepreneurs tend to be. Um, and I certainly didn't have this awareness as a younger entrepreneur. Th th those are kind of counterintuitive. They, they, they're, they're like, they seem like, well, that's a waste of time. Yeah. Like, why, why, I could be doing this. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 it takes a conscious choice to set your mind and set your time aside to uh, explore. Yeah. Yeah. If you people take the time to do that. Um, so I, I, I love hearing other business owners encourage others to do that because so often it's, Head down, plow, go, go, go. You got to keep driving. So, uh, well, and that's what usually makes you successful initially, right? I mean, you know, you, you I, I remember the first year in business, um, I, we were, we were the rookie of the year. We had the best start of, of any franchise in years. And that first year, it was, you know, I, I, I didn't, I spent 90% of my time selling and, and it was a tremendous fear motivation. You know, it was like, I, I don't know if I'm going to be successful, so I've got to go, go, go grind it out. Um, and, and, you know, that's what I, I I'm saying is the, the natural bent to an entrepreneur that gets them, uh, out of their comfort zone to start a business, um, it, it, the, the, the flip side of that is that you oftentimes don't create space to ask, are you doing the right things? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, a little bit of a pivot, but when we sat down earlier before we started, um, you started telling me about how you had just kind of had a, a little bit of a focus uh, niche in your business that you had begun to go after. Tell, tell me a little bit more about that and how you came about that specific industry. So, um, we, six years ago, five years ago, we implemented, uh, the entrepreneur's operating system, EOS, Gino Wickman traction. Highly recommend that book to any entrepreneur that hadn't read it. We will definitely come back to that in a moment. Okay. Um, one of the components of that is to define your target market. And we had defined it um, and operated under it, but what, and this is one of those going back to like, this is so obvious, why didn't you see it before things? Um, it was not, um, it, it was not uh, focused enough. It was not small enough. Uh, the definition that we had was way too broad. And the idea of a target market just, it, my mindset was, well, 
it doesn't matter to me whether you do IT services or you're in video production or you're a physician or you're in the manufacturing business. The size of business that we focused on, which was generally under $5 million in revenue, what we do and what, what the uh, client needs is generally the same. You know, it probably is 80% the same across all industries and 20% is, is customized to that industry or business. And so I think that was one of my mindsets in not wanting to narrow the, the target market further because I was like, well, that just limits us. Um, but the real purpose of a target market is in the EOS world is to define what you're going to spend time, money, and energy on attracting, not necessarily a litmus test to say if somebody that comes to you organically that is is not in that target market that you can't take care of them. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to focus your marketing efforts and your dollars and your time. And that 20% difference in industry um, is where all the, the juice is, you know, and, and it, in defining a target market, it actually makes your marketing much, much easier and less costly because you're focusing on that 20%, not the 80%. Um, but we started looking around at, you know, who did we like to work with, okay. right? Who were our favorite clients? Where did we bring the most value? Where where did the, the the clients that said you know you're you're awesome sauce, and um, we made a list and we started looking at the commonalities, and that's where we landed um, on this creative entrepreneur, um, and more specifically the photographers and videographers. Um, then you had to go back and look, okay, well, is that target market big enough? You know, you can make your target market too small, right? Um, in, in Oklahoma, although we do have a, a burgeoning uh, video and, and film uh, industry, it's still nascent. I mean, compared to other markets, it, it's small. And so it, it was, well, we can't just focus on Oklahoma videographers and production companies and filmmakers and those because of editors um, because there's not enough. Uh, but when you expanded that nationally, it was like, oh, there's plenty. You know, there's plenty here. And that's one of the things COVID actually helped with because um, people became more comfortable with the idea of a virtual service provider. Sure. Um not having to have a brick and mortar and, and have to physically meet with somebody. Um, you know, not everybody's made that switch. There are some people that still want to go see their doctor. Me, I'd rather do a televisit, right? You know, who wants to go down to the doctor if you don't, right? Um, so, you know, I think if I was, if I was counseling somebody about defining a target market is looking at your existing business and where do you do your best work? And, and where do you find the most reward? Um, and then seeing if that niche is big enough. Yeah. Um, the, 
One of the concepts that Perry talks about also is um, a unique, um, well, no, the, the, the unique selling proposition, everybody's heard of that, that's familiar with marketing. Right. Um, it's, you know, wh what makes you different than your competitor? And, you know, the famous example is Domino's when they started and, you know, their shtick was 30 minutes or it's free, right? Well, the problem with that is that you can, you can easily outdo that. Well, I'll do it in 25 minutes. Okay. So it's unique, but it's not competitive, right? So Perry has this concept of a DSP, which is a definitive sales proposition. Okay, I'm listening. And the, the concept there is around a, what can you create that no one else can do in the marketplace? And his example, when, when he first, you know, he first introduced this concept to me and I was like really kind of having a hard time getting my mind around it, uh, or, or at least the difference between a definitive sales proposition and a unique sales proposition. He talked about a client of his that was in the um, placement uh, industry. So they, a hiring agency, you know, you need somebody to do IT, you go to them and they'll hire somebody and charge you 30% of their salary for the, for the effort, right? Well, the dirty secret in that industry, which I didn't know, is that most of the recruiters have a Rolodex, there's an antiquated term, <laughs> um, of, of uh, you know, 100 or 500 uh, employees, and they would just uh, rotate them. And, and in other words, they were really players reps. They weren't company reps. Interesting. Okay. Right. And so they'd, they'd say, well, you know, Chris, I, I think I can get you a better job. And I, I go place you over at this company. And then three or four years later, I'm like, hey, Chris, I got this gig over here for you. Wow. Right. And there was no, uh, there was no loyalty to the employer. So this agency designed everything they did from their marketing to their internal processes around uh, representing the employer. And their guarantee to the employer was, we will never poach uh, one of the employees that we po place with you. That was their guarantee. Um, and so- Which seems very simple. Right. That seems common. Well, right. One of the things that I see, though, is, which is why I think things like this are so important, is uh, people get in, in, in any industry and they talk to others in their industry and they really get blinders as to, to what, what is the acceptable status quo, Absolutely. right? And um, so someone from the outside looking in would say, well, that's obvious, but it's not so obvious to the people that are in the weeds on it, right? Um, so, you know, where we've taken that concept is, you know, just a little peek behind the curtain is one of the things that we do really well uh, in this target market is we have uh, professionals that can, can communicate and relate and build relationships with these creatives that 
generally are not comfortable with numbers. I mean, it's it's an anathema to them a lot of times, right? Um, and so you you get your your typical accountant, and they're talking over their head. They don't understand the answers that they're getting. It's a it's a technical answer, and what they want to know is something much more digestible. Um, and so the way we recruit, the way we educate our people is, is focused on those skills. Like, you know, so it's a bunch of soft skills where, you know, accounting firms will traditionally spend all their budget on continuing education of technical updates and how to do this better and that better, which is great. That's, you know, but, um, in our target market, the soft skills are much more important. Um, so that's part of our definitive sales proposition. Now, looking outside into our organization, would you know that? No. I mean, the, 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 the DSP is not something you post on your website. Okay. You know, it's not something that, um, you know, someone could reconstruct it if they understood what was behind it. The, the part that, that you see as a customer or outside the organization is that marketing and that guarantee piece of like, you know, we promise not to place anybody uh, that we've, we approach anybody that we've placed with you. Yeah. Well, I know that culture within your organization is, is something that's huge. It's, a, it's an amazing culture you've developed. Thank you. Which came first? Was it, was it you just kind of looked around and noticed that you had this great culture or you realized maybe where you wanted to go and that, you know, you wanted to reinforce that culture? I've always been curious kind of how that came about and how, maybe how you motivate and continue to, to, to keep that culture as what it is. Well, um, a lot of a lot of my employees and and others have said that we have a great culture, and and I I would agree with that uh, to an extent. It's not where I want it to be, and I'll 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 explain that in a second. Um, culture is one of the foundational elements of EOS. So when you start working in EOS, you work um, for two days on what's called the vision traction organizer, which is essentially the business plan. Um, But the very first thing you start with, it's at the top of the VTO are values Mm -hmm. Um, because values persist beyond what you do or how you do it or who you do it with values don't change over time. Um, And the exercise we went through with a a third party facilitator was, okay, um, we are going to restart this company. Who in the organization um, are you absolutely going to take with you? Okay. So we start listing these people and uh, I think at the time there were 22, 23. Um, and then it was, okay, why? What about these people makes you say they have to come with us? And once you get all of that up there, you can start seeing the commonalities and you uh, uh, distill them down to some, you know, words that represent uh, what that, that is about them. And those become your your values. 
they're not aspirational values. They're not like, you know, the posters you see on a lot of businesses say teamwork or, you know, not that teamwork couldn't be one of your values, but it, it is who you are. It is not what you want to be. Okay. It's the things that are best about you, obviously. It's not the, you know, not the negative parts of your culture. Um, but they're, they're values that you generally uh, portray. They're not 100% all the time. So in that way, they may be aspirational. Um, but they're what, what makes you who you are most of the time. Um, the, the implementation of those values is where it gets difficult because you have to start filtering everything through those values. So you start off looking at those, those things you want comfortable or uncomfortable to go through that process to get to where you have your values listed. I don't think it was uncomfortable. I think it was actually eye opening because where we, I didn't really have any expectation that I recall, but the values that we came up with were like, huh. And, and, you know, I will say in, in any organization, but definitely in smaller organizations that the values of the company cannot, cannot and are not distinct from the, the leader of the owner of the organization. In other words, you, you can't come up with these values that these other people hold that are antithetical to you. That, that doesn't work. So you have to be comfortable as, as the leader and the owner with those values. They have to resonate with you. Not to say that those are your personal values, but they have to at least not be inconsistent. Right. Um, but, but when you start filtering those things around how you hire, um, how you promote, how you recognize people at work, uh, how you fire people, um, how you select clients or customers, vendors, um, you know, what, what decisions, every decision you make cannot be countercultural. Right. Um, I knew that we had something when we fired our first person for not being a culture fit. Oh, wow. Um, it wasn't necessarily that they were a bad performer, um, but they definitely were not a culture fit. And, and I would say that until you fire somebody for culture, um, you don't have culture. When you recognize that, were you able to quickly act on that? Obviously, we hear a lot, you know, fire quickly. Or was it something that, and obviously not knowing the tenure of that person, did it affect your decision at all? Did you struggle with it? Or was it, no, we've committed to this, and now we've got to just get it done? Where it's been difficult, and I, I can I can think over the six years, there's only been three people that we fired for being uh, not culture fits. Um, it, it, it was not more difficult than any other decision to fire somebody. Um, it, it probably felt a little weird 
because you're like, you're not firing this person because they're not doing their job. Okay. Right. That feels weird. Um, but what's, what's fascinating is once you fire the, the first person that we fired, that was not a culture fit. It was, there were several people that were just like, thank God. Oh, wow. Right. Th because when you come out with these values and you say, this is who we are, and then people in the organization don't exhibit or exhibit behavior counter to that, it rings hollow. Yeah, there's no hiding behind it anymore. No, there's not. And so, so once those person, that person was gone, it was like, okay, they're serious about this. The, 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 this, is, this is something that's important. And then two, well, yeah, that person was an asshole. I don't know why they, they you know, and, and, um, you know, it, it, it's, it was, yeah. yeah. It's easy to make it come to light. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, until you make a difficult decision around values, I question whether you're actually living those values. I love that. That's yeah. Um, how many companies do we know of or see or hear about who tout their values, but never act on them? Um, yeah. It, no, I mean, it's, 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 it, it's kind of in vogue, you know, Simon Sinek start with why and, 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 you know, this whole concept of why are you, why do you exist as an organization and, and having those values conversations that feels good, right? Like it's inspirational. But there's there's a flip side of it that if you're not willing to expel the members of the tribe that don't live up to those values, you're you're not really there. And and why I say that I don't think we're where I want to be yet with our culture is those become tribal um, values. Th those are, those are tribal things. And it, it's a, it, it's no respect of hierarchy. And until I hear somebody tell me personally, Christian, you're not exhibiting this value. We're not where I want to be. They have to be comfortable to be able to call out anybody in the organization to say, you're not exhibiting our value in this instance. Like, you know, you did this and I, I don't, I don't think it's consistent with our values. That to me, when you have that type of accountability around values, that's when you really have culture. Wow. Okay. That's taking it probably a step further than most people want to. Most, I think most leaders would say they want that, but they have a cutoff in their head of people above this level or supposed to hold me accountable, but uh, no, you want I, that to permeate through the entire organization. 100%. And I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for that day. when so, Because, because you know, I, I know which of our four values I uh, don't exhibit all the time. I know it because I've gotten the feedback anonymously. Um, because part of the EOS model is you you have a, a people analyzer where you analyze everybody in the organization based upon these values once a quarter, and um, it's it's a, a three sixty peer thing where anybody that interacts with you gets to opine on whether you display the the values or not, and and in that process I know that I've missed the mark on one of those values, but no one's come to me and said, 
this is an example of you not. And, and until that happens, then I don't think I've, I'm where we want to be. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure and distribute this to, to the whole team. And Please do. I've told them, but, uh, you know. <laughs> um, you know, one thing, I, I, core groups are obviously successful. Three locations, Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Lawton. Um, you took this on six years ago for EOS. You've incorporated that. I'm curious, though, is there anything that you'd be willing to share of maybe something you attempted that didn't work out? Oh, that list is long. Um, I think, well, EOS is a perfect example. Really? Uh, yeah. So uh, when we started, when I first read Traction, um, I'd also read Vern Harnish's Rockefeller Habits. Okay. Uh, he's since written a sequel to that called Scaling Up. Um, interesting story. Gina Wickman, who wrote Traction, used to be an alkalite of Vern Harnish's. Um, so there's a lot of similarities in the principles in, in the two books and the two systems. Um, I had read both of them and I tried to implement it in our organization, but I tried to do kind of a hybrid and we didn't involve anybody from the outside of the organization and it, it failed miserably. I mean, I think we did it at least a year. Uh, probably closer to two years. And then we just gave up on it because I was like, this isn't working. When we brought in a professional to help us implement EOS, which is not a cheap thing to do, they, they, they charge, you know, five, six, seven grand a day, yeah. right? Um, we worked with them for, uh, I think, two years. And... I realized through that, that the reason why we had failed at self-implementation is we had a bunch of, uh, we had a bunch of problems I didn't know. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I will tell you that the, um, primary thing was there was not trust. And trust is a, is a funny word because I, I you know, like, Trust is highly contextual. I trust that you're not going to pull out a knife and try and stab me, right? Do I trust you with my infant child? Hmm, I don't know. That's a different, you know, different level of trust. And, and to me, trust is, is in, in a business context, as an organization is being able to tell somebody something you know they don't want to hear without ramifications, okay. without negative ramifications. So I can say, Chris, you know, when you did this, this, and this, I don't think you were exhibiting our values. And you're not going to hold that against me. You're not going to have, uh, you know, um, it's not going to cost me my job. It's not, you know. And the trust problem in our organization was specifically around the leadership team, I, of which my brother was part. But it wasn't just him. It was the whole group. I didn't trust them that they would do what they said they would do. I hadn't um, clarified that that way, but that's in hindsight what it was. And they didn't trust me that I wasn't going to change my mind. Tough place to be. 
Right. And the reality was we were both right. Okay. Right. I mean, because what happened? Well, EOS, we tried it. It didn't work. What did I do? Changed my mind. Okay. They would not effect the changes that they had said that they would change or take responsibility for what they said they would take responsibility for. So we were both right. Um, but at the, at the, at the, uh, at the root of it was there wasn't trust. Um, one of my favorite books, and I read it probably once a year at least, is uh, Patrick Lencioni's uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Um, and trust is the, is the foundation. Um, you know, that's the first dysfunction of a team. And then we were there. That's where we were. We couldn't move up to, you know, the, the communication and um, accountability and, and those other things that are above it because we didn't have trust. Right. You want more or you want just that one? Yeah. Okay. No, that's, uh, this is, this is fantastic. Um, you know, I, I, the, I think the wisdom you have to share is, is profound. And, um, no, I think we could sit here for a very long time. Uh, however, we don't have a very Our time, long time is limited. Um, so t- I got two questions here for you. If you could go back to 1997, okay. what would you tell young Christian about starting a business? I don't think it would have anything to do with business. I I think what I tell me is um, beware the capacity for self-deception. You've got to expand on that for us now. Well, um, one of the things that makes an entrepreneur an entrepreneur is they see things that other people don't see. They see the world differently in general. Um, and that the flip side of that is, is that they oftentimes are not well grounded in reality. Right? Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, there's no way escaping that. When you are a visionary like Walt Disney and like, you know, some of the, the most fascinating stories I've heard are between Walt and Roy, his brother, because Roy was definitely the realist. And Walt was the dreamer. And the, the, the details of how are you going to get the money to build this? And who's going to, you know, all the questions that Roy had didn't cross Walt's mind. And Walt didn't care. He had this vision, yeah. right? And um, having somebody in your life that you trust um, and will listen to that can be that grounding voice and say, look, I understand the vision, but what you're doing is not going to get you there. You know, it, it, uh, and the self-deception part is, well, I start telling myself, Chris doesn't really understand the vision. He doesn't really understand what we're trying to do here. Uh, Or Chris is working against me. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't really want me to succeed. Uh, or, you know, the rationalization of your own behavior, like, no, this is, this is good when objectively it's not a good idea. Like, you know, um, so the, the, the power of self-deception is what I would warn my younger self about. I love it. Good. Um, so as we wrap up, one question we always ask, what's one piece of technology you can't live without? Well, um, 
you tried, you, you, earlier you were going to email me and I said, well, I don't have email on my phone and that's a conscious choice. Um, the, the, I took all of my business applications off of my phone. I, 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 when I got a new phone last year, I took it off and it was intentional because I realized that it was just a time suck. It was not productive. Um, you know, so technology, I'm kind of in this mode of wanting to regress, uh, I, I, as opposed to progress. Um, but you know, the idea that you have inside your hand access and capacity via this small computer that you would never have dreamed about 10 years ago is an extremely powerful tool. Um, so I say my phone, um, <laughs> but I do that with reservation. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, Christian, thank you. If anybody would like to get in touch with you to follow up either personally or to learn more about core group and the services that they offer, how should they do that? Well, you can email me at cbrim at coregroupus.com. Uh, that is the domain of our website. If you want to check us out, um, I'd give you my cell phone, but I don't know what, you know, what pranksters would. <laughs> I, I encourage you not to. Yeah. Yeah. So perfect. Good. Well, thank you again. This has been fantastic. You bet. My pleasure. Uh, having you here. And thank you for inviting all of you me. out there in the world listening. Thank you for listening. We'll do it again sometime soon. 